Welcome to Leader Talks with Anne-Marie Pham, where I sit down with thought leaders across Canada to discuss the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast aims to create awareness, showcase a variety of perspectives, and inspire courage for all of us to create more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces and communities for all. I am your host, Anne-Marie Pham, CEO of the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. As CCDI celebrates its 10-year anniversary in 2023, we welcome you to today's episode of Leader Talks Season 2. Hello everyone, July 24th is International Self-Care Day and this is really a day where we encourage the practice of focusing on doing the things that help with our mental, physical and spiritual health. And it is particularly important in today's society because of how busy really all of us can be. Our life circumstances, if we're dealing with workload issues, family stresses, and even trauma from the past that is unresolved and other personal mental health issues. So to amplify the need for self-care and mental health, I am excited to introduce you to our special guest today, Zoraida Dada. I've known Zereda for over 10 years, and from the beginning, she has struck me as an incredibly knowledgeable and insightful person, and I hope that you'll enjoy today's conversation. So please let me give you a brief introduction about Zereda. Zereda is South African by birth, and she immigrated to Canada in 2006. She was born into and lived under apartheid for most of her life. Zoraida was an anti-apartheid activist and was part of that first wave of Black intelligentsia in post-apartheid South Africa. In addition to that, Zoraida is a licensed psychologist in Alberta, Ontario, Nova Scotia, and South Africa. And she's the founder and president of Invictus Psychology and Consulting, which is a psychology private practice that she established in 2003. So she's got over 20 years of experience in South Africa and 16 years in Canada. And she specializes in counseling psychology and industrial organizational psychology. Sarita is also an HR professional with over 30 years of experience in various roles. And that's where I had the chance of meeting you, Sarita. And she's currently completing her PhD in psychology with a focus on post-traumatic growth, resiliency, and thriving. And her latest accomplishment is that she's just been voted in June as chair-elect of the Canadian Psychological Association's counseling section. Wow, what a mouthful. (laughs) Welcome, Sereda, to our podcast. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I am so excited to be here, Anne-Marie. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, you're most welcome. I'm really looking forward to our chat today and learn from you and for everyone to also learn a little bit about you. So we'll start off with the first question, which is, can you tell us a little bit about your background in psychology and especially why this interest right, in psychology, especially through the lens of diversity, equity and inclusion? Yeah, I was born in South Africa, as you said, and under apartheid, we didn't have access to mental health care. 
for people of color. So in our own communities, we didn't have that kind of access. So my parents, for example, didn't have access to that. And there were a number of different mental health issues, as you can imagine, under apartheid. Apartheid was extremely traumatic. It's one of the only places in the world where racism was legalized. And so we didn't have access to those kind of resources. And as I was growing up, I was always intrigued and interested to try and understand why do people treat other people this way, especially under apartheid? Why do people have such different ways of thinking? What causes people to hate one another so much? And so that really drove my understanding and my passion for psychology. I didn't know that there was such a thing called psychology because we were never exposed to that. And so when I attended university and I saw that there was a course called psychology, I was really intrigued by it. And I thought, oh, you know what, let me try and see what I can learn from this. It seemed like it was a good fit for me at the time. And it's interesting for me because ever since I've been, I was exposed to psychology, I have always been interested in the brain, understanding how the brain works, why people behave the way they behave. I'm so intrigued by that, as well as what causes the kind of issues that we have in society as a whole. And so that's driven my passion. And I constantly am engaging in trying to understand this. So I feel like I'm a lifelong learner and I'm doing that in my practice as well. That's amazing. Thank you for that background. And I can certainly hear the passion in your voice based on your lived experiences and how psychology plays a role and that direct connection to anti-racism and the experiences of those who are marginalized and don't have access to psychology. That's amazing. So now if we were to think about Canada and what's happening here in today's context, I can see that the Mental Health Commission of Canada has estimated that one in five people experience at least one mental health problem or illness each year. That's one in five. It's significant. And yet the lives of people with mental health conditions, I think, are still often plagued by stigma and even microaggressions and even discrimination. Based on your experience, Zareda, what are some of the common stigmas that you've seen, that you've heard about when it comes to mental health? You know, one of the common stigmas, and especially I think it's very, very prevalent in the United States, and I think it tends to seep into Canada too, is the fact that people with a mental health condition are more likely to commit acts of crime. That's a huge stigma. Like, you know, when you look at all the mass shootings, etc., there's always this underlying or this framing about it as people who have mental health illnesses or conditions. So I think that's a huge stigma that we have to fight against because it's more true that a person who has mental health issues would probably be more likely to be harmed by people in society than actually causing the harm to others. So that's a huge stigma. That's a stigma that's at a very societal level. I think also in terms of organizations, if you look at it from an organizational lens, I think there's also the stigma associated with people have mental health conditions, that they're not effective at work, and that they are labels put on them in terms of their ability to be able to contribute in a meaningful way in organizations as well. And then on a personal level, what I've discovered a lot is that I think I myself am a recovering anxiety-aholic. I call myself a recovering anxiety-aholic. I also have had issues with depression in my life. And so I think when I was experiencing this, and I find that to be true with people as well, is that the identification 
of the conditions of depression or anxiety as a part of who you are. So I see a lot of clients who come into my office will say, I'm feeling like I'm going crazy, like there's something wrong with me, Zoraida. And so that's the opening gamut, generally speaking, when people come into my office and share this with me. So one of the things that I try to do to destigmatize is really to be able to create that detachment between the condition that you have and who you are as a person. And I think that that's really, really important. So psychoeducation of clients in terms of understanding, their understanding of what depression is, what happens in the brain when you when you depress, what causes depression, what are some of the contributing factors to depression, you know, and also with anxiety as well. What happens in the brain when we get anxious? What causes us to feel that way? What contributes to that? And I find that when people have that understanding, it really is like a light bulb that goes off in their brain and they start recognizing that, oh, I shouldn't be ashamed of this. I try to normalize it by saying that it's similar to having a condition like diabetes, for example, right? It's a condition that you you have to manage. But when you recognize that it's a condition and it's not who you are, that's, I think, a very big distinction and helps to destigmatize. Yeah, that's really interesting. And thank you for sharing about how you break it down and you separate the condition from the person. Because you're right, there are people who sees mental health as their problem, that they blame themselves, that they are ashamed of that condition. And they don't think of it as a medical condition, right? They think like it's a personal attribute that I have. It's part and ingrained to my sense of identity and who I am. But it's like when we have a broken leg, do we blame ourselves for that physical medical condition? Just because it's not physically out there, it doesn't mean that it's not a medical condition, right? That's how I help myself to understand it as well. And I really appreciate your transparency about sharing that you also had anxiety and depression. We've heard a lot of leaders in the past being brave as well and sharing their mental health challenges. And it really helps to normalize it in the workplace because there are probably so many employees who are experiencing similar or related mental health challenges. And they can, when they hear their leader talk about it, they go, okay, I'm not the only one. And that leader actually just give me permission to also be more comfortable to disclose some of my mental health challenges and and get the support that I need. So all of that is so interrelated, right? And and it makes such a difference. It absolutely does. I think it's all about recognizing that we are all human beings. There's a writer, a psychiatrist, a Canadian-based psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Diane McIntosh, and she's written a book called This is Depression. And the one thing that she says is that she believes that depression is an inflammatory condition of the brain. And I really subscribe to that. I think that's pretty spot on in terms of how she approaches it. And one of the other things that she says is because of contributing factors to depression, for example, some of them relate to situational instances like you know, some of it is genetic. It's also hormonal. It's related to your your psychology, the way in which you view your, the world, your personality. But there's also a contributing factor associated with our situation in life, like social triggers, like, for example, changes that we may have or losses that we experience. So she says that she believes that everybody in their lifetime will experience an episode of depression. Absolutely. Thank you for the analogy or the explaining that depression through the medical lens, because I think that's really important. 
And you also talk about the causes of depression, that it could be genetics, hormonal, psychological, and social changes. At CCDI, we often talk about, you know, creating a work environment that makes it psychologically safe for people to bring their whole self to work, to be authentically who they are, not having to hide an aspect or aspects of their identity. And so I think if we are in a workplace and we're listening to this podcast to sort of take a moment to also perhaps self-reflect on what role can I play to create a culture or a work environment, no matter what position I have in the organization, right? I could be a leader, but I could be just a colleague to someone. And how do I create the space for people to feel safe so that the social environment is not going to further contribute to mental illness or exclusion, a lack of sense of belonging, which can be very stressful and can lead to other mental health conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 100%. And I think there's so many different ways that we can go about doing that in order to support, to create a mentally healthy workplace requires the creation of a safe space like you said, in terms of what people, that people feel safe to be able to speak about these things and not feel like they're judged by it. And I think a big part of it is to educate ourselves too, in terms of what are these conditions, you know, and how can we support people who have these conditions in the best way possible. And I think part of it is also to demystify what these conditions are, because I use a positive psychology approach to this. And so I don't necessarily see it as an illness. I see it as a condition that we have because I feel like, you know, when we speak about it from an illness standpoint, it sounds very difficult to manage. It also attaches to it as some understanding or people's views on it or judgments on it as if it's not curable or there is nothing that you can do about it, you are saddled with it. So I think even just in terms of when we have these conversations, it's about understanding what is depression, for example, or what is anxiety, for example. So educating yourself is really, really important. And then I think in terms of creating a safe space, it's a space free of judgment not judging somebody, but really trying to understand. And I find what is really helpful and the opposite of judgment, I feel, is curiosity. So, you know, being curious, being curious about people's experiences, being curious about what you can do in organizations in terms of support that you can provide. A lot of organizations these days have got wonderfully established um, EAP programs to support this. And the government of Canada, as well as insurance companies, all increasing their limits in terms of how many sessions you can get for psychotherapy or psychological services. So all of those things are very helpful in terms of supporting people. Because having these kind of conditions, one of the things that people will generally do when you have these conditions is you'll isolate yourself. And a lot of the times it's because of the stigma. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm going crazy. Why can't I handle the situation? I used to be able to do it before. I can't get out of bed. I can't wake up and just go and do something. I feel completely, completely overwhelmed. Those are some of the symptoms that people feel when they have these conditions. A big stressor also can be the workplace in terms of workload, overload, burnout is directly associated with what's happening in the workplace. So I think it's about when we introduce any forms of innovations or systems or processes in place 
in order to create a safe environment, I think it's also about recognizing the impact of the work environment on mental health as well and being very intentional in terms of how we set up those environments to be able to support a mentally healthy workforce. That's very interesting. Thank you so much. And you just shared a lot of examples of what we can do to support that environment in terms of the safe space, having access to EAP, normalizing the conversation. I think those are all good. Now, if I could ask you something practical, right? So let's say you are a supervisor and your employee, you notice a difference in behavior or maybe your employee seems to ask for more time off. They Maybe they're a little bit more quiet. They don't seem to be themselves. What are some of the things that that supervisor could do or say to provide the support for the employee? What, what would be some of your recommendations there? That's a really good question. I would say the first thing that supervisor needs to do is come from a point of trying to understand and being curious. Of course, there are certain limits to being able to share uh, what kind of condition you have. But I think coming from the point of curiosity will be helpful. And then also, depending on the relationship that's established between the supervisor and the employee, I think there may be opportunities to engage in further conversations around the types of supports that are available, making that available to the employees. Because I don't know if employees know the extent of the kind of services that are being offered by organizations. Clients who come into my practice who don't even know that their organization may have an EAP program and Mm -hmm. what the EAP program can offer them as well. So, you know, there's not that much of education around what's available in terms of support. Another key thing that I find sometimes can be a challenge for supervisors, particularly, is to be able to understand the nuances of this, of these conversations and to understand what their role is in these conversations. I think if it's a, like a performance management issue, it's easier to understand it from that perspective, to know what their role is in terms of that. So I would say that for supervisors, it's important for them to recognize what their role is with regards to mental health. And they may just be sitting in the role of being able to provide resources, access, Mm -hmm. you know, resources that are available, educating their employees in terms of what is available for them in terms of support for mental health. But I find sometimes that supervisors will come to me with a conundrum. Like, I don't know if I can even give advice in terms of, okay, you should get more sleep or, you know, you should eat differently or or those kind of things. And so I would say rather be safe than sorry, rather provide the advice, the different types of resources to employees and create the space that allows employees to come and speak to you. But when you recognize that this is beyond your role, to openly share that with employees and to then recommend resources, therapeutic resources that may be available. Yeah, I think you hit a very important nuance here because a lot of supervisors, when they experience that situation and they feel that the employee needs help, sometimes the employee would ask for help of the supervisor and the supervisor may not truly understand their role. And so some of them may try to play the role of the therapist or the counselor, but the reality is that they may not have that professional, most of them don't have that professional training or background or experience. And so providing mental support is one thing, but providing professional advice 
or therapy is a completely different thing altogether. We don't want supervisors to provide the wrong advice to someone because they're not professionally equipped to do that. And they shouldn't have to have to do that because it's not part of their job. So it's really important. I think you hit a very important point there is for supervisors to to get the proper training and coaching on how to support their employees with mental health and understanding when they can support directly, what the organizations can provide in terms of EAP or other resources, and what needs to be basically farmed out to external services, to external individuals and experts. So thank you for that. That that was really important. You're welcome. And you know, it just tweaked for me as you were reflecting back. Another thing is, I think the intentionality of organizations to have a policy on mental health in their workplace, like how are they going to deal with mental health issues as they come across their desks? I think that that guidance is also really, really important and it will provide them with an idea of the parameters within which they can operate and what they can do in these kinds of situations. One of the Mm -hmm. things that I also find is that sometimes people, because they don't know what to do, they prefer to avoid. I'm not going to speak about this because I'm scared I'm going to go over my role and, you know, so I'm not going to. So that's also something that's very possible and very likely within work context. So in order to be able to speak to that, I would say that approach it always from a place of curiosity. This is not about judgment. You know, your employee understands, most employees understand that their supervisor is not a trained counselor. So the likelihood is that if they do come to you, more than likely, they're looking for support in other ways, like resources Mm -hmm. or days off, for example, like what you've mentioned, those kind of things. So I think it's about approaching it with an open mind and recognizing that you're not the therapist. And I think when you do recognize that and you accept that, then what will happen is you there will be less pressure on you to act as a therapist. Mm-hmm. And you can even state that in the conversation with your employee that, you know, I just want you to know that I'm speaking to you now as your manager and I'm not a trained psychologist or a trained counselor. So. I just want you to know that. So even sharing that with employees will be helpful as well. I think that's really important, setting those boundaries of what you can and cannot do and making it very clear. So you're setting expectations from the get-go. And the idea of the policy and then the training and the coaching around mental health that you shared, I think are really wonderful considerations and ideas. And there's lots of organizations that are starting to do that and getting additional support because mental health issue is really gaining in need demand and even like increased awareness from employers about their role and responsibility to support uh, their workforce with mental health conditions to provide that safe space and the courage to have sometimes those difficult conversations. And I think, like you said, Zareda, helping supervisors to get out of denying that there's an issue or sort of avoiding to talk about the issue Sweeping issues under the carpet never solves the issues. It, it Sometimes it can fester and, and get worse as opposed to get better. So it's important to have those conversations. Well, you give us so many really good ideas, food for thoughts, different ways of looking at the situation. Really, really appreciate that. And I wanted to ask you one last question, Zareda, as we wrap up this podcast. If people want to find out more, after listening in to this great conversation, how can they connect to you or find out more about what you do 
Uh, thank you so much for that. Yes, I have a website, and my website is www.invictuspsychology.com. And I'll just spell the first part of it. It's I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S dot com. All the podcasts that I've done, etc., all the social media, I've written articles and those kind of things. They're all available on my website. So if anybody wants to go in and take a look, they're more than welcome to do so. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Zareda Dada, our special guest today, registered psychologist and human resources specialist and just a great person all around. Appreciate your time to educate us and provide us with additional food for thought around mental health and how to support it. Take good care, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Leader Talk Season 2. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. To stay up to date with Leader Talks or to find and listen to previous episodes, please visit ccdi.ca slash podcast.